the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC. Welcome to Bisberg. I'm your host, Gary Dixon. We are glad to have back with us for episode number 18 our friend Jay Hagerman from Abernethy and Hagerman. Yeah, how are you? Uh, it's been a while since we talked. I hope you had a great uh, holiday season and all of that has uh, gone well for you. Yeah, all is good. and hope you had a good one, too. We've learned an awful lot from your Bisberg programs over those uh, 17 previous ones we've done together. A lot of fantastic information. Those are uh, available online, by the way, at our Pittsburgh podcast website, and you can go back and listen to those as well. We've talked a lot in the past about wills and trusts and elder law. And I, I understand we're going to go in a little different direction with this uh, program today. Is that correct? Yeah. As you, as you touched on, we've spoken over 17 episodes about the importance of having an estate plan, what happens if you don't. Um, you know, we also talked about the importance of asset protection from, you know, long-term care issues and nursing homes. And we've talked about probate and all that type of stuff. I've kind of, you know, beaten that ad nauseum. Um, so today I think what we're going to do is um, – Give you give the listener five. Uh, we're going to start with five. Hopefully, we can get through all five of them. Um, legi- you know, existing case studies in what we call fiduciary or orphans court litigation. Uh, five five cases that are you know currently going on. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we're not going to reveal any. Uh, details of of names or, or places, just like I guess was it the old dragnet that said the names oh, yeah. of the uh, have been changed have been to, changed protect, to protect, the protect the innocent. innocent. Yeah, right. so we're going to go with that, and um, but we're going to talk about some of the issues that arises and what happens if um, you know we don't have a plan and how this litigation can proceed and uh, and how com- how the outcomes can occur. So litigation, the part of go actually going to court, you do as a lawyer all of the things we've talked about previously, which is a, a lot of uh, knowledge and paperwork and filing things and asking questions and all of that. But I'm sure sometimes it does end up that you with your client are in court, which is a big scary thing for everybody, not you, but for the rest <laughs> of us. Do you want to just uh, jump right in and start with uh, case number one you want well, to Well, I, I want to talk or? a little bit about what um, actual, you know, what the etymology of uh, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania Orphans Court is and uh, how you could end up there. Okay. Um, and of course, we call it Orphans Court. That is a plural orphan, you know, with the apostrophe at the end of the S. And that actually is a term that derives from Old England. That's the, like a king's bench term. And of mm. course, we're a commonwealth, one of the four in the country. And we, um, you know, can cite law back to king and queen's bench rulings and still be precedential if there's no other um, law on point for that. So uh, we get that term from from England, and, and that's the, uh, the the division of court that uh, fiduciaries like executors, uh, agents under power of attorney, trustees, guardians of an incapacitated persons or minors estate are, are sued in, um, or beneficiaries use that as the forum to um, 
to fight over inheritances or or issues with an estate or trust administration or potential uh, any you know so that all falls under that yeah, umbrella term of orphans court yep so it's not a it's not a pejorative uh, sense uh, in, in Pennsylvania it's the actual name of it and um, that's where you know a fiduciary or beneficiaries fighting over an inheritance would end up as, as Pennsylvania orphans court division yep all right. So it's a place we don't want to be, but we could find ourselves in. Um, so let, let's talk about how that yeah. goes. So the first case study I want to talk about is, um, <laughs> the, you know, there, there are two brothers, um, Cain and Abel, right now, <laughs> but uh, two brothers that are fighting, uh, and their their mother and father created a revocable trust. Um, and the only problem with that, so the good thing is it avoids probate because it's a trust. But the only problem in the situation is that there is one giant parcel of, of farmland. Um, and the one brother desires to keep it as a farm, uh, and the other brother desires to, uh, you know, flip it for uh, a development. Mm. The problem is, is that the trust says that everything gets split 50-50. Well, you know, that would be pretty simple because hypothetically you, you would think, right, if you have a 100-acre farm, um, let's just divide Divide it in two parts. One gets one fifty, the other gets the other fifty. Yeah, but, but who gets which part? Well, and, and the other thing is, God doesn't make land equal. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, and if, of course, there's there's hills and valleys and stuff like that on this multiple hundred acre parcel, and it's not as simple as to just you know draw a line and, and mm-hmm. cut it in half. Mm-hmm. So the the question is, if one brother is going to buy the other one out, how does that look? And they're not fighting over the terms of the trust. Fifty fifty is exactly how it's written. What they're fighting over is the value. And you would, you know, and there's no mechanism in this this trust that was written by a, a trust mill company back in the '90s that were popular out of the eastern part of the state. Um, so there's no mechanism inside the trust document to the valuation of the property. Now the law does provide a mechanism for it. Um, statutorily, but it has to be requested in court, which, you know, it's a lot easier to make a deal between the two brothers. The problem is, is that Cain and Abel, I guess, were probably the appropriate uh, names for them because they can't agree on the color of grass Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, right? Mm -hmm. This has been going on for two or three years, and we finally stepped in to try to resolve it. So we're trying to engage in settlement negotiations. But let's talk about what happens um, if we don't settle this case. What will happen is... um, you know, one of the brothers is going to have to file a lawsuit in orphans court calling for a partition action. And a partition action doesn't just mean splitting stuff up. It also basically means the court will appoint something called a partition master, um, which is essentially, uh, you know, an attorney hired by the court to try to um, equalize this land or its value. So what ends up happening is this attorney actually hires their own attorney, (laughs) ironically enough, um, who represents the, the hearing master in this case uh, for the partition. And then uh, they also get a, a series of appraisals um, and they try to, you know, value the land based on professional uh, opinion. If that doesn't happen, then what happens among the beneficiaries, there's a private sale. So what a private sale is between two beneficiaries is as simple as they sit in a room, they write down their best offer on pieces of paper, if that's how the, the, the hearing master wants to conduct it. It's like almost baseball arbitration, highest number mm-hmm. wins. I've seen it done that way. I've also seen a private auction where they legitimately have a paddle and they, hand, they, you know, they do a bidding war yeah. you know, um, until one of, the, one of them blinks. So long story short, in a partition action, 
for real estate, the only real winners are, of course, the attorneys who are getting paid hourly, which, you know, it's good for us, I suppose, as a business, but it's not good for the client uh, because they're shelling out money. We, the court also has to order that the, that the master gets paid, and the court also has to order that the attorney for the master gets paid, plus the appraisers. So as you can see, and, the, and plus there's additional filing fees and court costs. So as you can imagine, this is thousands and thousands of dollars of litigation uh, fees that are not necessarily um, necessary. It seems like this could be a very common yeah. problem when property is involved. Exactly. And uh, 50-50 ratios or whatever are uh, yeah. doled out through the will. So is there a way to avoid this? That was that was my next uh, my next point is okay. how do we how do we avoid this in planning, and whether you have a will or a trust that document can really um, control the the process of administration and it doesn't have to necessarily but if you think that it might, you might want to talk to your estate planning attorney, and say uh, if the you know if the beneficiaries can't agree upon a value of the property to be bought or sold by one or several of the beneficiaries <clears throat> within X amount of days, let's say 90 days, 120 days from the probate of the will or from the date of death, whatever measuring number you pick, then what happens is um, you know, the fiduciary hires uh, a licensed appraiser in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or even two uh, to get appraisals and then the average of the two or the one that is hired, depending on how you draft it, is mm-hmm. the number. Mm-hmm. And that way, if the the document or you know mom and dad or, or yourselves control the process from the grave, which is completely legal, that's the point of most testamentary documents, including trusts, is to have that control. But also, I mean, it it gives us certainty. And you know, without that type of direction, there is no uh, there's no other option other than making a deal in a settlement, like I described, or fiduciary litigation. As an attorney, do do most attorneys that handle wills, trusts, uh, elder law, so forth, and and might bring up this will or write this will, are most of them going to think that part through in advance and give you a heads up, say, here's the thing to think about, this could happen? I know you do, obviously. And that's one of the benefits of obviously talking to Abernethy and Hagerman is you will bring up that point, so we need to write it in a specific way. Right. Is that common that everybody, every attorney would would offer that yeah. advice in advance, or could that slip by? I'm not. I mean, it can easily slip by. Um, it's just part of our our client intake that we. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, our our conversations with our clients are pretty intimate in the sense that we ask about each of the the children or any yeah. of the beneficiaries. We ask about what's going on in their lives. I mean. Whether mm-hmm. they get along, whether they don't get along, whether you like their spouses, <laughs> yeah. whether I mean, I mean, we hate to we we hate to say it, but we ask about drug and alcohol issues, which are a big sure. thing mm-hmm. nowadays. We also ask about um, any uh, mental handicaps because uh, we have to prepare for that. Uh, if there's any beneficiaries that are potentially inheriting that have a cognitive issue, um, and once again, of course, in this instance, the relationship between the beneficiaries mm-hmm. we talk about, um, whether seen or unforeseen. And we, we kind of pry. So right. I, I can't speak to any other um, 
you know, lawyers that do this, sure. but certainly we we take the time to really dive into Well, obviously you think about it because you brought it up on yeah. this program as a very important point to think about in advance. If you just joined us, we're, you're listening to Bisberg. I'm Gary Dixon, and we're speaking with Jay Hagerman of Abernethy and Hagerman. If you'd like to contact them, there's a phone number, of course, and a website you can look at. The phone number is 412-486-6624. 412-486-6624. I'll repeat that later in the program. And also their website is a dash h dot law. All right. From this point, uh, do you want to go to another case, or is there more to explain on that no, case think, number one? I think we'll go on to the uh, the next case then. Case number two that we're going to discuss today. What this, is this one about? Yeah, there are actually two almost identical cases uh, from the legal issue matter. Mm-hmm. And um, in this instance, what happened was there was a a client whose uh, loved one had uh, had passed away about three years ago, and through a series of you know personal issues, and she was you know named the, the executor of the will, and through a series of personal issues and COVID and everything else like that, um, and frankly the the attorney that she originally hired passed away. Uh, through all those issues, the estate had had remained unadministered, meaning that nothing has been done. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, one of the beneficiaries. Um, you know, once they're once their share. I mean, that's not unreasonable after three years, in my opinion. So, the beneficiary hired a lawyer and sued the executor to um, get the case moving. Essentially, compel administration. Um, in this instance, they didn't ask for removal, which would be possibly proper, uh, because if you know if there's a delay occurring over three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the remedy could be removing the executor altogether or compelling the executor to get moving and put timelines on them. Right. So – and the reason why that's important is because whenever someone passes away, I think we've talked about this before, there are certain statutory things that occur that whether you like it or not, timelines are running. And, and most of these are taxes. Uh, there are some forms you have to file in the probate process and everything else like that based on the rules of court. But the biggest thing is Pennsylvania inheritance tax. The payment's due nine months from the date of death. Mm-hmm. Um, just like our income taxes, the payment is due on you know April 15th or whatever the closest uh, non-holiday is after that. But you can file the return later. But the payment is due on the 15th day of the fourth month after the close of the calendar year. Now, inheritance tax, the payment is due nine months from the date of death. No so exceptions. In, so in this case, going on three years. Three years. We have, does we that have, mean that it's stacking up? Oh, big time. We have uh, penalties and interest that are running. And yikes. that's called waste. In law, that's called waste, mm-hmm. and um, and of course, you know, the more money going to the government reduces the share that's going to the beneficiaries. Right. So they were rightly concerned to be diligent about getting the executor to administer the estate. So that's one thing uh, that we're handling. That's a pretty easy one. But I just wanted to let you know and let the listeners know if you have a loved one that passed passes away. Um, whether you think there's nothing to do or, or, or whether you think that there may be something to do, the best thing to do is just give an estate or trust attorney like myself a phone call. We give free consultations. We can tell you over the phone, yeah, you're good to go or, you know what, you may be owing some tax and, and – um, that's pretty much the long and short of it. Uh, just yeah, double so, check. But in this this case, this fiduciary that's uh, holding up everything for three years, was there a reason for that? Or they were, were they just lax? Or was there some reason they... It was a combination of personal issues and the original attorney passing away yeah. and COVID. You would just think, yeah, everybody be anxious to get it all done. Right. And to go. So another thing to think about that could happen. Right.
You want to move on to another case? Yeah, let's move on to the third one. This is going to take a little bit more time because it's um, pretty interesting. This is actually uh, involving, the crux of this involves Medicaid. So once again, Medicaid is a benefit that individuals have to qualify for if they are in a long-term care facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is to pay for their, their long-term care. In this instance, um, two sisters inherited a property from, from mom. The one sister gave her one half of the property to her kids, and the other sister gave her one half of the property to her son, reserving a life estate in that parcel, um, in that one half of the parcel. Uh, and then she subsequently went into a nursing home uh, for long-term care, and they, they came to me for Medicaid. Uh, to, to qualify her for Medicaid, which is, of course, what we do as well. So the issue is this. Let's talk about what a life estate is first, okay? You can divide real property up based on geography. So I can take, you know, uh, a two-acre parcel. I can cut it in half and, and have two one-acre parcels, mm-hmm. right? That's easy. I can also, and this is, this is the lawyers for you, we can also divide property up in time. So, for instance, if, I, uh, if Gary and I own a, a parcel of property – and what happens is he, he's not living there and I am and I convey my half interest to him. I can reserve a life estate, meaning that during my life I get the sole possession of that property. Nobody can kick me out and that's what it is. And what Gary then has is the remainder interest. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, is whenever I die or move out and, and that life estate is extinguished, Gary gets the remaining interest. So we divided the property up by time. Yeah. The problem is this. For Medicaid purposes, Pennsylvania law provides that that life estate that was reserved by the applicant for Medicaid has a value. It's not significant, but it has a value. Um, So, of course, Medicaid is a resource-based qualification. So, you know, we now have a parcel of property that this lady has um, a life estate in, and Medicaid is assigning a value to it. And that has to be and paid it has back. To be, yeah, well, it, just, it doesn't have to be paid back, but it's, it's right. part of her resources. The right. problem is is that it, you know, land is land. There's no monetary value. Mm-hmm. And um, this lady didn't have any liquidity. So what we had to do is like in the first case that I talked about, we had to file something called a partition action, um, which is basically uh, trying to force a buyout essentially of the remainder – from the remainder men – Right to the life estate, so basically giving the applicant cash to make the parcel in time whole, so that she can then either spend it down or, or, or do whatnot. So this this is a relatively complicated case. It's not very frequent, but the reason why I bring it up is this: before, whenever these these deeds were being drafted and conveyed from parent to child and everything else like that, in the reservation of the life estate, this was done. While the the applicant who who we had to you know represent for Medicaid um, was on the verge of becoming sick, mm-hmm. so the Scrivener attorney who did these deeds and reserved the life of state <clears throat> should have known that this could be an issue should long term care crisis hit. He didn't do anything about it. He didn't even counsel the clients about it. And I mean, frankly. Um, he wasn't an elder law attorney. He didn't do this with regularity. It's a general practice person. So the question is, how can you avoid this? Well, I mean, you know, go to somebody who really focuses on um, a specific area of law. Uh, you know, certainly we do a state's trust in elder law, and we can, you know, see these issues coming. If mom or dad um, has signs of cognitive issues and or even health issues that, you know, they may 
have to go into a long-term care facility even for a little bit during the course of their life, which 70 percent of Americans do even for two weeks uh, for, for rehab of a fall or something. Um, you know, we can we can plan for this. We can see it coming, and that way, no one's caught off guard, and we don't have to file lawsuits like a no, partition action. Absolutely. Again, the program is Bisberg. We're speaking with Jay Hagerman of Abernethy and Hagerman, located in the North Hills, right? Yep, right in Hampton Township. In Hampton Township, four one two four eight six 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 two four is the number. The website a dash h dot law. Yeah, as you were speaking about all of this, it just occurred to me that. This must be, or you tell me if it is a big problem in in your world, wills, trusts, agreements drawn up a long time ago. And then over time, things change. Relationships change. Uh, Maybe, again, uh, somebody becomes demented and uh, can't function at that level they were. All kinds of things change, but the, the document was written when things were different. And not updating uh, periodically wills, trusts, and this this sort of thing would be a real problem, wouldn't it, in, in yeah. some cases? Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time. And I, I talk about frequently, you know, you go to your, your doctor maybe once a year or, or, so, or more frequently, or you certainly talk to maybe a financial advisor or even your CPA for taxes once a year, and you get your physical health checked on, you get your financial health checked on. But most people really neglect their legal health. And it mm-hmm. sounds kind of weird to say. But the reality is it exists. So that's what we, we, you know, we're here for. We do free consultations. Um, mm-hmm. We're very upfront about that. Um, it, you know, it's no obligation. And if we are actually going to do work for you, then we let you know exactly what we're going to do and how much it's going to cost before you leave the meeting. Right. Uh, we, don't, we don't hide the ball at all okay. <laughs> at our Good. firm. Well, something to remember if you have a, a will sitting there was done in 1995. Yep. You might want to look at that or have uh, Jay Hagerman look at that uh, for you. Okay, next next case. Yeah, so the next case, Gary, is um, speaking of updating documents or even having a professional look at them, the next case that I have is a, uh, a situation where there was a, uh, a gentleman who um, was blind and he belonged to a church. <clears throat> and the church um, community actually was uh, – was trying to you know make sure that all their members had appropriate legal documents, so they would go on to a online forum and draft up uh, you know documents. And oh, one pro- of those online forums. Well, the problem even was more specific in the case that they would take paragraphs and, and different clauses from different online outfits and put them together into one document. Ouch. The problem is, is that, you know, unfortunately, all these folks are non-lawyers, so they mm-hmm. don't know what some things mean and what some things don't. And, mm-hmm. and the biggest issue is you can tell what's in a will, but you can't tell what's not. So what I mean by that is there is a Let's talk about what it means to make a legal will in Pennsylvania. And the standard for a legal will in Pennsylvania is very low. You have to be over the age of 18 years old. You have to have a sound mind. Um, and you you know, you know have to sign the will at the bottom. And uh, basically, you also have – it has to have donative intent, which means it has to dispose of something. It can't just say, you know, I'm deceased and, and that's it. Have a, have a good life. It has mm-hmm. to actually give something to somebody who have a donative intent. So once again, I mean, the, the threshold is very low for for creating a will. I've, I've probated wills that were written quite literally on napkins and, um, you know, we call them holographic wills. But in any event, um, that's to make a valid will and that can be probated. However, there's a statute in Pennsylvania if you want to probate a will, which is just the act of walking into the Register of Wills office and filing it you know, on, on, the, on the docket. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a statute that says that it has to be self-proving. So what that means is the testator signs the will and it, it, a notary notarizes the testator's signature. Two witnesses who are once again adult and have competency witness the testator sign the will and then a notary notarizes their signatures having um, signed the will. So that's what we call a self-proving will. Um, in this instance, the will was not self-proving uh, because non-lawyers drafted it and didn't know how to, to comply with the statute. So in any event, of course, you know, some of the beneficiaries are different compared to if the will didn't exist in the first place called the intestacy statute and, and they're fighting over whether or not this is a valid will. Um, and of course – That's a shame. Yeah. So nobody's winning, unfortunately. The best of the intentions, lawyers. of course, by the church and everyone involved, yeah. but uh, they, they need to let a professional uh, draw up a will. I mean I, I think that, that that's the axiomatical uh, <laughs> expression. I mean you got you got to let the professionals do their, do their job. I mean certainly you don't want to have a do-it-yourself brain surgeon. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Good so, point, right? Uh, very important uh, point to remember. So hire a professional for sure. I know there's another case uh, that we didn't have time uh, to get to on our program today. Maybe on a future program we can uh, do another one. Eighteen. This is the eighteenth time we've been together, and uh, I've enjoyed all of them uh, with Jay Hagerman. Jay's a a great guy. He does. He's not paying me to say that. He's a, <laughs> he's a great great guy, a true professional, uh, and a very honest professional as well. We encourage you to uh, contact them if you have anything in the the way of, well, tell our audience uh, all the specific areas you focus on. Yeah. So once again, it's, you know, estate planning, um, uh, using trusts and powers of attorney and everything else like that. We handle the Medicaid planning and application, which is really considered elder law. Guardianships, which are if there's someone who already is incapacitated, we have to have them adjudicated that way and uh, a guardian appointed for them. And of course, uh, estate and trust administration, when someone passes away, passing the assets to the beneficiaries, dealing with inheritance tax uh, and those issues. Okay. So contact Jay Hagerman at Abernethy and Hagerman. The location is in the North Hills of Pittsburgh. The phone number is 412-486-6624. And the website, lots of great info there, is a-h.law. Uh, We've been speaking with Jay Hagerman. I'm your host, Gary Dixon, and the program is sponsored, of course, by Abernethy and Hagerman, LLC. Jay, thanks for your time again. Thanks again, Gary. Yep. We'll see you next time. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.